Welcome to the Bitches Be Brave podcast. We know how difficult and crazy it can be to juggle family, career, and not to mention make time for yourself as a busy working mom. So it's time to get inspired and gain the tools to create a life you love. We are your hosts, Bev Steele and Heather Hobbs. Join us as together we motivate, inspire, and gain tools to thrive in all areas of life. Let's go. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of Bitches Be Brave. And today we have a really special interview with Abby Bolt, who is an elite firefighter, speaker, advocate, and podcaster, but she's really inspiring and amazing as she shares her really intimate story and how she now just fights for women and men and their rights um, within the workplace. I think this is really timely just because it's hard to speak up for ourselves anyways in the workplace. And even now when unemployment is soaring and you just are so thankful and grateful to have a job, you still need to advocate for yourself and also stand up when you're seeing something that's happening in the workplace that should not be happening. Yeah. The true definition of bravery, I think, is when you have to you have to stand up, even though you've worked so hard for something and you know that there could be ramifications. Um, and even if it's not you, even if it's standing up for somebody, something that you're witnessing and seeing happening, um, but to really, to, how can you have that bravery to, to do that and make that stand to do what's right? Yeah. I think she coined it as a brave bystander. I love that. I love it too. Here we go. Welcome. We are here today with Abby Bolt, who's an elite firefighter, speaker, advocate, and podcaster. Abby started her career in wildland fire on an elite hotshot crew. Continuing on in her career, she became a helicopter repeller, engine captain, and moved up the chain of command to battalion chief. Abby fought and managed fire beside the best of the best in the industry. In 2012, while on assignment, Abby was sexually assaulted by a firefighter who was not a member of her team. Her trust and leadership quickly went up in flames. She realized not only would she have to advocate for herself in this situation, as a leader, she was going to have to be an advocate and teach others how to lead with fire, fearless, integrity, resilience, and empathy. In her quest for justice, Abby spent countless hours searching for solutions and found none. With that realization, she set out to create the resources that were lacking. Abby now draws on her experience in leadership as well as the wisdom she learned as a firefighter to coach others how to lead with fire in their lives, in the workplace, and beyond. Abby, we are so excited to have you on the show today and to share your extraordinary um, story and how you're helping others today. So welcome. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love your guys' podcast. It, it's a lot of fun and you guys have some really great subjects. So thank you for having me. Well, this is a huge one. And I think it's one that we haven't really spoke about on our podcast yet. And so I'm so thankful for you coming and being brave enough to really share your story. And I'd love for you to just take our listeners and tell us, you know, how you got to this point and what your story is that helped you now today want to help so many others. Sure. I, my, the long story of my life is that I grew up on a ranch and where I'm at right now for the, you know, the apocalypse, <laughs> but I grew up on a ranch with, uh, in California, people, some people don't even realize that there are places in California that people live that they don't have electricity or they're off the grid. And that's us. We are totally off the grid, grew up without it and no phones and all of that. And, 
So now that we're dealing with this whole COVID thing and being at home, I'm back at the at ranch, which is really great. So I grew up there, grew up in the country and uh, was athletic my whole life, played sports. And after I graduated high school, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I had a lot of ideas, but I started taking college classes, which led me into Wildland Fire. And I think I figured out that no one was ever going to pay, pay me to play sports. I wasn't that good. And, you know, it's, there were a lot of, do- I didn't want to just go work in an office or do a regular nine to five. All through high school, I was a raft guide on the Hearn River here. And so outdoor activities were something I loved. And so then I got interested in wildland fire and I ended up on a hotshot crew. And then from there, I went and repelled on a helicopter. And from there, I went to uh, Montana and was on engines and then South Dakota on engines, became an engine captain and then came back to California near my family. So that was about, you know, 23 years ago that I started all that. So it's been quite an adventure. Wow. And so tell your story. I know that, um, you know, we talked about that in 2012, you had a terrible situation and that you were sexually assaulted. And can you walk us through that and what happened and maybe some of the, you know, the, um, the issues that you had with really being seen and heard when that happened to you? Sure. So my, my whole career from the first year that I was on a hotshot crew, it was, it's never been easy being a female in a male dominated place. You know, I, I was one of 20 people on the crew and I was the only female and they hadn't had a female in years and years. So, and I was 19 years old back then. And so every day was now looking back at it and knowing what I know now and the definition of workplace harassment every day was harassing, but I didn't, I was too naive back then to really know. And the second part is though, I didn't care because I just wanted to be there. And it's amazing what you will tolerate when you just want to be somewhere and you just want to fit in and you look the other way for so many reasons. So that, that first crew that I was on looking back, I can see how toxic they were. But then the next place that I went on the helicopter, which had just as many people, but then we had a helicopter to ourselves, which was great. So you can't beat that. But that crew was amazing. They were a bunch of men that were very encouraging, very positive, very uplifting. And they became my brothers. And I realized that it wasn't always like that in a male dominated place. So that gave me confidence moving on. And I think really made me want to continue my career that. And then going on, I just knew getting older, more mature, going through more training. I knew what I did and didn't have to put up with. And then I also knew that I could hang. You know, I was tough enough to be there. I was a good firefighter. And once I realized that and I, my confidence was up, I knew what I could and could not deal with. So if someone would do something harassing to me, I'd put my foot down and stop it right there. So you get through that stuff younger in your career and you figure out how to deal with the hazing or the little harassment things. And then the further along you get, it can become administrative or, you know, sneakier. It's hard to explain that general harassment is not always something that's just a physical, brutal thing. So I dealt with that here and there, but in 2012, I was traveling for fire. I was gone to Colorado, actually. We, when we go out, our incident management team, there's about 50 people on a team, and they, they can be from all over the country, but if there's an incident, we, the call goes out, we gather, and we go to whether it's a flood or a fire, whatever it might be. So we were in Colorado fighting fires, and the, the assignment was coming to an end, and usually at the end of every assignment, we have like a, a dinner where basically like high fives, great, good job, you know, moving on and close that dinner. And we had that dinner and there was a member that was there from the team that wasn't one of our 
typical crew members. He was kind of a guest, I guess you could say. So he was there, and and there's a lot of it that I really can't talk about because it is still under investigation. But he had had too much to drink, and he made some poor choices, and and uh, I was physically assaulted that night. And there's a lot of detail to that that I think, you know, we don't really need to go into, but I was a battalion chief at the time. And the next day, I had to drive, had to drive home to California by myself, so I had a lot of time to think. And I just, I remember walking out into the sunshine out of the hotel and making it to my truck. And, you know, the whole time after, you know, right when it happens, everybody's like, why didn't you call the cops right then? Why didn't you do this? But it is, it's, unless you have dealt with it, you don't understand the difficulty in that. And especially when it's somebody you know, someone that's in your professional group. I knew that the moment that I rang the bell on this, it was going to put a stop with the entire team in the middle of the fire season and there was going to be a big fat investigation focused on me and it was going to be because of what I felt at that time my weakness and where I wasn't able to protect myself I was going to ruin the careers of all these people and the ripple of that and the guilt of that I mean I knew that if we couldn't respond to the next fire because we were dealing with my assault what about the town who's about to burn up and we're not able to help them you know so I went through all this so I traveled home, and it was excruciating from there back to California. But I happen to have a girlfriend who's now an SBU detective in California, and I reached out to her, and she was like, you have to report it. And I explained to her all these reasons why I couldn't. No way. I can't. I can't. You know, I mean, textbook. You read articles now about this, and it is textbook assault, fear of reporting, fear of what's going to go on, textbook. She's like, Abby, please, I just need you to come down the police station let's just do the report it'll be there if you ever need it so she talked me into it and I went down there and it was is this is the movies make it this is the tv shows make it look it's exactly like that you go into a little room you all ask all these questions you end up at the hospital all of it and they were great everybody that I worked with was really great but it is it is as hard as it sounds you know, so I have definitely have a different way of looking at victims now. And nobody would ever put themselves through that if it wasn't true. Like no one would ever go through that to make a false report. I, I can definitely see that now. So while I did a police report, I didn't report it to my work because I didn't have confidence in how they would handle it because I kept seeing them handle things that were much more minor in a bad way. So I was a federal employee at that time and and I was dealing with some other administrative type things with my my bosses and they were just failing in several ways so I didn't have confidence they could handle this right and looking back now I still know that they couldn't so that that was all set aside I had been assaulted but that wasn't even what I was bringing up legally and I just started getting harassed more and more by these two men that I was working for but it was all administrative it was taking away opportunities it was basically taking away everything that I loved about my job. And the more that I would bring that up and try to stand up for myself, the more difficult that it would get. So long story short, I filed an EEO complaint against the USDA Forest Service. And that process mm-hmm. took about three years and about almost $200,000 in legal fees. Oh so it is not easy. And when, when I went through that process, just trying to stand up for what was right, and I'm, we're not even talking about the sexual assault. 
we're talking about administrative discrimination. And it should be easier, but it's not. And when I went through that, I felt like I was recreating the wheel from beginning to end. And I thought, why is it this way? There should be a lot of resources that I can grasp and, and know better how to follow this, this whole system. And I started looking around and seeing case after case after case of people that I knew. Like I knew about people that had filed complaints, but they dropped them, dropped them, dropped them. And then I figured out why. Because the process will wear you down so hard that you can't survive. And I went through that. And now my mission is, if anybody needs my help, I'm trying to help people get through that or find resources easier because of the hell I went through. Thank you for sharing that story. I mean, that's, I could just feel what you must have been going through at that time. And as you were speaking, it made me think about the time that we're in right now. You know, in the best of times, women at work, they're keeping their head down, they're trying to work hard, you know, doing what they can, and it's difficult. And now here we are in the face of layoffs and people saying, oh, I'm just thankful to have a job. It, it, it would be, I believe, even more difficult today for a woman to want to raise a red flag, especially when there are other ways of, of uh, a, a supervisor or manager or coworker, you know, harassing you and making things difficult and you don't want to be laid off. So in the, in the uh, area of business today, wh- how would you recommend um, someone that is, well, this is facing this, this situation? Today? It's not going to make it easier. Like you said, hands down, because, I was just doing an interview with a firefighter the other day. She's um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And we were talking about, she had been the only female in a couple of different departments. And she, we were talking about having a baby at work and how they were just did not know how to even deal with a new mother or a pregnant firefighter, you know, and we were talking about how you try so hard to prove that you belong there. You try so hard to show that you can hold your weight and you're just as good, if not better than anybody else there. Then you throw in an actual human element, something like, I'm going to have a baby, and workplaces still don't know how to deal with that because now you put so much attention on yourself because now all of a sudden you're a problem. And that's how they see a lot of things that women have to deal with. And it's not that they think really think that you're a problem. It's just you've become a logistical anomaly that they have to manage. And like it or not, no matter what, we can fight for equal rights all that we want. But if we, we have to admit that, no, we're not equal. It's science. You can't have the babies, men. You know, <laughs> women have to breastfeed. We're never going to make that equal. So it's all about being able to manage women that do belong in the workplace and make it so that they can be human. And it's not just about the women. You know, I always make a point that, so you, you take, the, take away all that child care stuff, all that aside, and we're not just talking, we're not talking about the harassment piece, but just more the family management piece, like you guys were talking about. Because last time I checked, it wasn't just women that took care of kids or women that took care of their aging parents or, you know, any of that stuff. It's really about being able to be a caregiver and be professional and being able to offer options to employees that are trying to be good people, not just to work, but at home. And that takes us down, you know, a whole other path. But um, it's just all about having a workplace that gives people the flexibility that they need to be human. So now you're talking about, you know, being a female 
in the workplace where it's already difficult. Now you throw in all this where people are lucky to have a job. It's going to be really hard because if you were a woman in a workplace right now, anywhere, I don't even care if it's the essential ones or the ones where you're getting laid off. If you were this close to speaking up for yourself, you think you're going to do it now? Mm-mm. No way. No. And so how many, how many issues are just going to go away right now and fester? Yeah. And I mean, you bring up, you bring up such a great point. And I think it's, um, you know, we've been through the whole Me Too movement. And I mean, I think that there are so many situations. I mean, I know I could write a, a short book on situations that I've been through in my course of my career. Um, you know, also being in kind of a very male dominated, you know, in leadership back in the day. And I remember, you know, hiding, I hid my, my pregnancies for the for the first few you know, months because I, it wasn't like drinking was part of it, right? Everybody would get together and I'm like, I can't. And I used to, I used to have this whole code where I would order like a mixed drink and then chase the waitress down and tell her, just give me soda with a lime and just keep bringing it. Every time I say another, <laughs> make sure it's so like, crazy. It was, I would hide Isn't it crazy? because it was like you, to your point, you, you try so hard to get to where you're at and you don't want to be looked at as different necessarily. So you're trying to be one of the boys. Um, but in the meantime, you know, the reality is we're not right. We are different and you just, right. it, it, and I love that you talk about the the male aspect as well, because that's the point. I think so many people now try to go above and beyond in the workplace, but they're also managing so many other facets of their life and it, it just wears you down, you know? Right. It's hard to be a good family oriented person and a good employee it's hard to be both and there's very few people who can pull both off and we're not all I mean everybody's family is so complicated everybody's got personal complications and it's so good to have a confident workplace that you can feel good and supported in but they're few and far between they really are I bet I do hear lots of stories of ones that are very supportive and they make things work for people and Boy, those are the people that they have real loyal employees that want to bust their butt for them though. You know, and, and we just need more organizations to, to understand that. Yeah, I was on a conference call when I was a very young employee and it was with middle managers and they were talking about the frustration of filling uh, maternity leave. You know, how are they going to pick up that slack? And one of the managers made a comment about stopping hiring women of childbearing years. And, you know, there was a lot of laughter. It was all men and me. And I did not say anything. And I think I could have made a difference had I said something, you know, but I didn't because I didn't want to appear not to be part of the team or, you know, you want be to bring a problem. And that's... Yeah, but I do think that talking about it and really even talking about right now, companies should really be communicating to their employees that, hey, this is happening, but it's business as usual. We need you protecting company assets, protecting yourselves. Because companies spend a lot of time saying, hey, if you, you know, if you're fear of sexual harassment, this is what you need to be doing. But, you know, you watch that one video and it's never talked about again. But right now it should be talked about. Right. Yeah. And that's, it just has to be conversations where it's not comfortable for people to either talk about it or call somebody out. So being a brave bystander is something that I preach on a lot because if you are in the workplace when like right then you knew, you know, looking back here, it's eating you up. Like I should have said something. 
everybody needs to find that courage within themselves and stand up because it can't just be the people that the people that are being harassed or being knocked down. Like if there's a dude standing next to you and he's not saying anything or doing something about it, he's just as, you know, he's just mm-hmm. as in the wrong as the person that is. So it's, it's about being able, I mean, my son is in fourth grade and I realized last couple of years, second grade, third grade, I was at the school all the time having these meetings about how they could manage the bullying problem. And they were verbatim to the things that were going on in my office. Verbatim, just 30 years older, mm-hmm. right? So we're still dealing with that schoolyard bullying stuff. And we're telling kids, hey, if you see somebody bullying your friend on the playground, go report it to someone so that they, it gets fixed. And it's, it's the same thing. So I'd be at work being like, hey, we need to report this. We need to do this. Or I would speak up on someone's behalf because I'd see somebody getting treated poorly. But most of the problems I ran into in the federal workplace were because I was speaking up to protect someone, not myself, but speaking up to protect the public or somebody in, in our department. But people don't like that because then you pointed out a problem and then they're going to have to find a solution. What's the solution to that? Because, you know, I mean, how do we change how do we change that whole environment within a workplace to make it so that we can, we can speak up and we can tell others what is going on and have change happen. We have to reward the people that are, that have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. We have to turn it not, and it has to be at the water cooler. It has to be at the bar. It has to be on the sidelines. Like not, I'm not just talking about talking in front of the group or putting on a presentation. Good leaders have to start that chatter and that murmur in, in, the casual places, not just the formal. You know, they they have to start talking at the bar when they're drinking with their buddies and talk about how awesome it is that so and so stood up for herself or what's his name spoke up for so and so. A lot of the calls that I get, the coaching calls that I do are actually for supervisors, not just employees, but supervisors who have a situation that they're dealing with and they're not quite sure how to navigate it. They don't want to turn it into a big nasty thing and they see that something's boiling, but they want to do something better about it. So they call and ask how maybe they can deal with that. And it's just really about starting to get that ripple to go out. And right now it's going to be harder than ever, but hopefully some attention because now we're so focused on really people taking care of themselves with all the, of the health crisis. Maybe some of the other stuff will lift off, but people that were going to speak up about, about something wrong going on in the workplace can be really hard, harder than ever. Yeah. I think it's just so deep in our culture, you know, the live work balance. It's, you know, it, that's a bunch of BS. It's just our lives. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> we've been taught from a young age that we compartmentalize our home life and our work life and they cannot be mixed. So, you know, you're raised like that and you think, oh my gosh, when I get pregnant, I'm going to need to hide this work. I need to hide the fact I'm a mom. I need to hide. So anything that crosses that boundary, you know, whether it be affairs at work or being pregnant or anything, you cannot mix them. So people just stuff it. Yeah. And that's not a thing. And we need to stop that. It's about integration. You have to integrate both. There is no separation or balance. There is integration. You have to have work-life integration and, and supervisors need to get that. Employees need to get that and respect it and foster it and make it comfortable, you know, it, your, and your kids need to get it. Like in your spouses, you come home, they need to realize because something that can be really hard on the relationship is coming home and not bringing your work home with you, right? Mm-hmm. That's really hard. And a lot of people have to draw that line and say like, it is not coming home, but that's hard too. And that creates that difficult toxic wall. 
it's about finding integration where you can come home and talk about work with your spouse or your partner. You can talk to the kids and get everybody excited about what it is that you do for a career. Right now, I did a, a podcast episode about, you know, doing telework right now in this situation. And this is such a great opportunity for people whose kids don't even know what they do for a living. Now they're at home doing it. And it's like, hey, look, this is what I work on all day. You know, come sit in my lap. See this nonsense going on in this Zoom call that I've been on for the last four hours. <laughs> you know, this is what we do. This is what we're working on. And of course, at the same time, there might be families who are like, seriously, mom, this is what you do all day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, um, but it's a really great opportunity to integrate work life. I think. And yeah. now people are having to do work life and teach like, wow, it's really getting intense. But you yeah. talked about the hashtag me too thing. So back when I first started speaking up is when, you know, I didn't go public until there was a trigger point for sure. There were a lot of things that should have been a trigger point from when I was speaking up and the agency really let me down. But I, I kept giving them chance after chance, like, okay, I'm going to tell them this is what happened at this point. And I'm, I'm I'm talking about just dumb stuff like just being held back in my career and training and all this but but then I would see all these administrative lies I would have lies and emails that I it was black and white be able to show and and I just there was a day when I realized that they really were never going to turn around and it just so happened to be right around the time that PBS called me a writer and reporter from there and talking with her you know and then that's when the me too thing was coming up and I was like no I am not going on this bandwagon I'm not jumping on a hashtag not going to do it and I was so against it because I always am, whether it's fashion or, <laughs> or a hashtag, I'm always way behind. I don't want to accept it. Yeah. But I really didn't want to, I didn't, really didn't want to put a hashtag on myself that said, hey, me too. Somebody's actually assaulted me. Now visualize me in that situation. And that's, I didn't want that to be my identity. And that's also why I didn't report it way back when. I would have gone from Abby, the badass battalion chief firefighter, to, oh, that's that girl over there that reported she was raped on a fire assignment. It would have changed my identity immediately. And that is not what I wanted. I, because I like when I would go to a fire assignment and someone would come up to me and be like, oh, hey, Abby, we worked for you like five years ago on that fire. And you remember that? It was so awesome. And you were so supportive of us. And it would have changed all of that. So, but it happened and the PBS reporter started talking to me. And the more and more I started to trust her and realize where her heart was at and that she was going to be genuine and really tell the story. I finally decided at, at that time and the agency just completely dropping the ball I went forward with it and while I wasn't excited about being a part of a hashtag it definitely gave us the opportunity to talk about it and it brought the attention to it now fast forward because I didn't like the part of being yes I was a victim fast forward to now there's actually something I've been more on board with because I'm all about putting your foot down or being a good bystander and speaking up so I'm all about now is hashtag not me not letting this mm. happening happen to you, mm. not letting this happen to your coworker, raising your hand and doing something about it. Not me, not me too. Let's, let's get out ahead of it before you become a me too, before there's a complaint, before there's a lawsuit, put your foot down. And there's a company actually that there's an app for that. There's an app for everything that's great nowadays, mm -hmm. right? So reporting wrongdoing at your work can be really hard. It can be a process that just drags you into the mud like no other. And then everybody knows about it, too, once you file that paperwork or you do whatever your process is where you work. But this great app is literally you can pull it up on your phone and you can do a report about something that's going on at work, whether it's embezzlement, 
harassment, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't just have to be sexual harassment. You can fill out this, this app, app. It goes to a legal team. They help you. They give you free legal advice. They, they guide you in the right direction. They'll even, even if it's just like somebody just needs to call that boss and be like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Or help you do the official stuff. But this app has been really great, and I really appreciate the, the group that's doing it, and that's why I've been advocating for them. So, yeah, it's all about hashtag not me, not me too. So you guys can check that out, you know, people in their workplace. Is that the name of the app? Yeah, hashtag. hashtag not me. I love that. And that is – Yeah, I, they've got a great website. I was going to say, does he have to give people that opportunity? Because, you know, as you kind of told your story and how scary and how fearful the process was – Um, And something that just really kind of resonated with me as you were talking about is, you know, how much we worry about how we look as victims versus actually how the perpetrator looks, right? Like, is it, we worry that it's worse for us to be titled as, you know, the person that was victimized versus how come, you know, it's like, and you see this, we see this all the time in politics and everything else. It's like somebody could do something terrible. They go to rehab and they come back and life goes on as normal. And they're not necessarily labeled as much as the the female victim or the victim oftentimes can be. And so I think, um, I love that you, you have this method that somebody can go and actually report something. Um, I'd love to see what we can do to change how we all feel about it. I learned and, and I learned the really hard way is that, you know, and I work for a very large federal employer. And so I don't know how it is for necessarily all the smaller companies out there, but I learned the hard way that HR, human relations is not necessarily for you. ER, employee relations is not for you. I grew up my whole life thinking like, oh, they're there for me. They help me get my paycheck. They help me do this. They help Mm -hmm. me do that. I learned the hard way that they are only there to protect the company. They are not there to protect you. And I realized coming forward with an official complaint, I had zero advocates in the workplace. I might have a buddy who wanted to have my back, but I had zero official advocacy and I had Maybe employee relations or HR would be like, oh, well, we're here for you. Reach out to us if you have a question. So that meant reach out mm-hmm. to us. We're going to write that down, and we're going to be calling our attorneys on how they can posture to make sure they're out ahead of yeah. you bringing forth something wrong. So it, it, it was a really harsh reality, but I tell people, do not trust that those pieces of your employer are there for you because they're there to protect the bottom line. That employer has HR and ER to protect their company, and that makes sense. So you have to go outside. You have to find an advocate or a coach or a lawyer to help you get through that. And not me really helps them with that. And I've been doing coaching just with helping people because I'm a heck of a lot cheaper than an attorney, mm-hmm. you know. But for the last couple of years, just for free, I've just been helping people get through that part because sometimes it's just asking some questions or, or admitting like, okay, I did this. And, you know, during my complaint, but I did screw something up. And it's like, okay, well, you did blow it and you're probably going to get disciplined. And, you know, so there's that too. I mean, just because you're a victim of harassment doesn't mean you're a perfect employee. Yeah. I think that podcasts like yours are so important, especially for the younger generation, because women our age were raised watching the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky story where he's fine and she's slut shamed as my girls would say, Mm -hmm. which I love that there's a movement about that's not cool to slut shame. Um, But for the younger women entering the workplace to, to have resources and be able to 
you know, have a voice. And I love the app. You know, the companies that I've worked for have always had an anonymous place that you can send information, but there's a thought throughout the employees that it's really not, that it probably could end up at an HR. So there's still that yeah. fear. So to have that third party option, I think companies should definitely listen because they, they want the information and they don't want the employees to be fearful to give it. Right, right. And that, yeah, exactly right. And you know what I've, what I've realized too is that watching, because I just couldn't figure out, and I'm, I watch it now in several agencies and organizations is, you know, how do these people that, that are poor leaders or poor, I don't even like calling leaders, but are poor managers, how do they keep thriving? How do they keep getting promoted? How do they, you know, I'll, I'll hear about a promotion. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. That guy got promoted. And even that gal, like, I mean, I've seen some women get promoted that were like, should never have happened, but they needed to be at stat to get them up there and get them promoted. And then just like, oh, you're killing us all, you know, but mm-hmm. I realized how much easier it is for them to deal with the black guy. So if you complained about something, if you brought up a problem, if you had a baby, if you, whatever it is, you caused an issue and you slip up one little bit, it is easier and swifter to get rid of you based on some stupid policy than it is to deal with that person that was harassing or, or discriminating. Mm-hmm. That's complicated, but to deal with, so that's the hard part is once you speak up, I'm not going to lie to people. You do become a target. It's mm-hmm. just the truth. And even if it's not on purpose, it's a subliminal target. So that's, it's just being able to navigate that and know, just knowing that's the reality. Do I hyper think about things and obsess mm-hmm. over things and lay awake at night and probably worry about things that aren't happening? Yes, but unfortunately, a lot of them have turned out to be true. And just watching the human behavior and the corporate behavior and the culture, watching it all go down and now seeing it from the backside, seeing it after going through this whole EEOC process, sitting there having a conversation with the administrative judge, him being honest and open with me about the process and him being honest about, you know, this could take years. This agency will do this. This agency will do that. And hearing that from the judge is just like, wow. But being able to see the inside of it, now all my paranoias were true. (laughs) So that's why I want to help people get out in front of them. Know what to expect. Not be surprised when certain things happen if you do speak up and go through a process and then know how to navigate them and and find a solution. Yeah, because... I think the the more, and I think I saw a quote that you had said that we should fear the silence more than the noise. And I really love that because um, we're not helping anybody, right? I mean, we're, we're, we need to be, we all need to be advocates for one another because it's not okay. And I think, you know, if you really sit down in a room and um, talk to people, it's going on, it's still going on. It's, it's not like yeah. it's, it's stopped silence because we have weapon. more women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is their weapon. If they can, if they make you feel bad for speaking up, there's going to be somebody adjacent to you that sees that and they're going to be silent. And that's, that's what they want. It is just like Billy, the bully. I did. That's why I made up this little episode about, about Billy and Sam, the the bullies on the playground, because they're going to thump on a kid and they want all the other kids to see that so that they know like, Hey, if you mess with me, this is what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how far along we get in society. This is still happening. This is still, and it's going to be happening. We're just animals. We're humans. You know, we've got human behavior that's going on everywhere. And you're never, you're never going to be able to fix all the lawsuits, you know? So, so yeah, it's just, 
the silence is deadly. It is their weapon. If they can get you to just not say anything, not complain, not speak up, it's in their favor. I would add to that. I mean, you, you know, you bring up the bullying on the, on the playground. And I think that that is, it's so true. I think our kids, they look and they observe us, right? They learn by not just necessarily what we say, but what we do. And, you know, we just had a situation with my son and his soccer coach this year where we, um, we had to re- make a report and it was something that, you know, we struggled with cause we didn't want it. We did, we were worried that he would have retail, you know, that he would get retaliated upon cause we're still kind of stuck in this team. And when we finally sat down, we said, you know what, we need to do this because it's the right thing. And if we don't, and he sees that we don't do this when we know what's happening, you know, that's, that's just not the message like that we want our son to grow up with. And so it was something, you know, we ended up having to do. And I feel like that's, for our kids and for the sake of everybody else that's watching, um, you know, it's yeah, worth doing. A great, great example because they are, they're watching everything we do, the good and the bad, and they're learning from it. That reminds me of uh, when I live in a very small community and when this was all really hot and heavy and nasty. And I mean, my vehicle had been vandalized at, in the workplace. And then it was getting picked at when I would go to the grocery store. And if I did see anybody from work, they would immediately either start asking me questions or I, it just, it was a nightmare. And I was going, I was right in the middle of a lawsuit. I wasn't going to the office. And so just going to get groceries or get gas was just excruciating for me because there's a whole mental health element of this and PTSD element of going through a process like this that is hard to explain unless you've lived it. And we needed to go to the grocery store and I've got my son with me and we walk in there and right there in line is, uh, my chief that I'm dealing with, that I've literally been with the attorney going through emails like that day and just nasty back and forth. And I walk in and I see him and the blood just drops out of my whole body. And I just go into this like panic mode and I grab my son's hand. I'm like, we can't go in here, but we got to go back to the car. Like I'm trying to make up an excuse of why we got, we have to leave. And I just couldn't, I couldn't walk to the store. And I just was physically, I, it's so hard to explain how, especially in a community, but what it does to your mind and body. And he goes, but why, mom? Why? We got to go get, you know, you just kept saying, why, mom? Why? And I go, you know what, bud? There is a guy in there that has been really mean to me. And I am just not comfortable going in a store right now. It makes me cry thinking about it. And, you know, he goes, but mom, you told me that no matter what, you just go out on the playground like it doesn't matter. So why aren't we just going in there? You don't have to look at him or deal with him. And I was like, oh, crap. you know and we made it to the car and I go okay you're right buddy let's do this and of course I just navigated the store in the most logistical way possible and yeah but he you know because I thought well I'm just going to be straight up with him and be like there's somebody in there that I'm not comfortable being around and he called me out he's like yeah well mom I do that every day at school and you make me go so Mm. (laughs) we're going to the store oh my gosh oh that makes me cry well I think that's why you're you're the perfect advocate for um, for women and men that find themselves in that situation. You walk the walk, you know. You've been through it, and also to help companies understand. Mm-hmm. So, Abby, how can um, our listeners get a hold of you, or how can they learn more? Yeah, go to abbybolt.com, and my link to my podcast are there, and resources that I have. And I'm building out more and more resources and some online courses to help people. You know, some of it's like how to find an attorney or what mm-hmm. to watch out for, or are, is this actually harassment? You know, there's a lot of, I'm, cause I am very much about just telling it like it is. 
but I will give them honest feedback, even if it's not what they want to hear, because that's what I always wanted. You know, I always wanted people to just tell it to me like it is. And, you know, someone comes to me with something and they're like, oh, well, this is happening, that's happening. They're like, yeah, well, you're like, you haven't been fired yet, you know, because actually you're not towing the line. So there's that too. I just, yeah. I'm not going to just take everybody that complains and coddle them and be like, yeah, you should probably be complaining. I'm all about really looking at situations. But there's a lot of employers, too, that they don't understand why things are going on. And they just want to do something a little bit different, a little bit better. And they don't see it. Like, they mm-hmm. don't see what's happening. Or you'll hear about something going on, and they've never heard about it. And they just want to know some creative ways to get around that. And I really like speaking in front of groups, giving trainings in a way that they don't even know that that's what's happening. I like storytelling. And, you know, I can talk about a fire story and wrap in a harassment issue in it and have like a really captivated audience and then share that harassment issue with them. And they're like, like I have a whole, I have a a talk that I did. That's all about this situation I was in with big medical aid and I was running a fire and, and there were injuries and bringing in a medical helicopter and blah, blah, blah. Like it goes on and on. It's a really great story and it's exciting. And the kicker to the whole story was somebody that I needed to make something happen for sport to get that helicopter landed was an old boss he was my boss from my very first year in fire and he was not good to me now fast forward 15 years later and I am his boss on this fire and he retaliated on me though and in a way that wouldn't let me land a helicopter (laughs) you know so I tell that story and wrap into this great fire story uh, harassment issue and how to get around that and when I went and spoke up about it I did I went and spoke up about it to the safety officer he was really concerned and wanted to do something about it until he goes, who is it? And I told him who it was. And he goes, oh, yeah, that guy. That's just how he is. God. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I just, but that's the kind of storytelling that you can do. And it really helps people understand, you know, how people can be harassed or discriminated on or what a toxic workplace can be or how a toxic workplace can hurt people. And then I help, you know, employers know how to get around that or how to do something better. But we can pound people over the head all day long with this like harassment training, harassment training, harassment training. They're not listening. Right. You know, well, I, didn't, I, think I didn't want to hear it. It's, yeah. um, it's painting that picture and starting, as you said, to make it conversational, make it part of the culture and what your leaders have to be demonstrating that. And they have to be able to see what it looks like, right? It's not just always as black and white as, right. um, you know, they have to be able to see maybe how there is a prejudice towards people. And, and in your case, like, oh, that guy, he's just kind of, he's just kind of like right. that. Um, and I don't want people to just learn from brutal lawsuits and the yeah. stuff that do, that really do get, get the news. You know, there's all these micro stories that are going on everywhere. And if we share with storytelling and just talking and getting the culture to hear it, like my boyfriend was a hotshot superintendent for many, many years before we met. And I shared a couple experiences with him from like just talking like not even saying this one time this happened to me he's been like yeah and this and this and then this guy did that and he's like what yeah wait wait rewind what he did what I'm like oh yeah like no no that's not acceptable that's I've never even seen somebody do that are you kidding me and I'd be like well that's just our normal that's what we've learned to tolerate and you know until he heard me telling those little experiences he had no idea no idea so if we don't share our, our stories and and I think that's how we need to train people by sharing stories and conversations yeah. and not just going through bullet point PowerPoints, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like to be able to help people with that. So abbybolt.com and, and both my podcast. So I also have, you know, I have the up in flames podcast because I don't want people to just go down in flames, you know, and that's what, that is what I was fighting. 
they thought that I was just going to be like crash, burn, disappear. No, I went and I made something out of it. I wanted to help people out of this because I went through so much pain and just, it was terrible. I went through so much and it, it's ripped me apart financially. It's ripped me apart everything. And I thought that's got to count for more than just me. So that's what I'm trying to do with that. And, you know, I remember, you know, the whole fire thing that I really like, but somebody, people always ask like, why aren't you worried about burning bridges? What about the bridge you burn? Like if I'm going to burn a bridge over doing the right thing, that is a bridge I don't need to cross. Yeah. So So I'm not worried about that. And the other part of that is I didn't want, all I hear is, you know, when we hear about women in these kind of jobs, these male-dominated jobs, so often it's the, the bad stories. So, you know, I always overwhelm myself with too much to do. So instead of starting one podcast, I started two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other one, because I, I wanted Up in Flames to be a way to call things out and, and really, you know, blow some things up. But I also wanted an avenue to be able to celebrate women that are doing really great things. So I created Her Brotherhood. And I interview women that are in all these like life-saving jobs, the military, the police, the law enforcement. And and, uh, yeah, so, so that's what her brotherhood is, is just interviewing different women with that so that, so that little girls can hear that. Yeah, girls do that too. Because this day we're in 2020, I still have little girls come up to me and say, I didn't know that girls could do that. And I was, I was at a um, speaking event not long ago and I was giving one of my talks and a gal comes up afterwards and she's like, I've never, and I'm talking about 35 year old woman walks up to me and she's like, I've never known a female firefighter. Like I didn't even, I'm like, lady, come on, open your eyes. We're out there. You know, so I wanted to provide, I know that there's other avenues for it, but I wanted to be, have a platform where I could get women on there and share the stories. And so that's what her brotherhood is. I love it. Abby, what you're doing is just, is so amazing. I thank you for your voice and what you're doing. And, um, I know our listeners are going to love going onto your website, seeing all the amazing resources and the podcasts that you have there. Um, Abby, one thing we do ask every one of our guests, but what does it mean to you to be brave? I have so many answers to that question, (laughs) (laughs) but my answer to that is to move forward through your fear, no matter what to take that step forward. Thank you. You are definitely an epitome of being brave and it has been such a pleasure talking with you. Um, Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. You are amazing. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.